0: Good morning. If you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. That is where we will be this morning, Philippians chapter 2. I am so thankful and humbled to be here and to open the Word of God with you all. It really is my, my greatest joy. It has been my prayer that God would speak to us Today, through his word, in ways that would be unforgettable, in ways that would change us for his glory. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are at and we are going to be looking at verses 12 through 13. And Paul has just got done explaining the humiliation and exaltation of Christ Christ coming to this earth as a man, one hundred percent man, one hundred percent God, and he explains his life, how Christ emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond servant, in Christ's exaltation, that because of Christ's obedience to the cross and in his humiliation he is exalted. We find that in verses ten through eleven. And then after that, Paul follows it up with this in verses 12 through 13. He writes, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work For his good pleasure. Let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Father we thank you. This morning. For who you are. We thank you for. Being so kind. To us. We thank you. For the words. We have sung this morning. You are gracious. And you are merciful. And you have pardoned. So many sinners completely and fully, not because of anything we've done, but because of your grace. And Father, every hour we need you in this hour, we need you so desperately. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would guide me, give me clear mind and speech, that you would be exalted in the hearts of your people this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we are going to be talking about biblical obedience. Biblical obedience. Obedience, in a broad sense, is under attack today. The world is hostile towards those who are in authority, there is animosity and violence increasingly more and more every day towards those in authority. We see it with the police, defund the police. We see it with government. This shouldn't surprise us when a society is disobedient. Paul speaks of this in Romans 1, right? That because of a nation's or a people's disobedience to the law of God, which is written on their hearts, And in the suppression of truth in their unrighteousness that God gives them up and over to a depraved mind, degrading passions, and they become worse and worse. The world hates obedience because in being obedient, whether to the government or any other kind of authority, then that puts restraint on those who would want to do evil in taking away authority or creating laws to accommodate those who do evil, then there is no accountability. And When there's no accountability, there is no restraint. I can live how I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to be obedient to anything or anyone. I can just do what I want, live what I want, and get away with it. And instead of coming to and being obedient to the truth of scripture, recognizing that they themselves are the problem. They point to everything else as the problem, right? You hear that and see that in society today. I'm not the problem. The problem is I, I'm oppressed. Or the problem is so and so did this to me. Or I don't have to be obedient because my upbringing was this. Or the reason I am the way I am is because of this person, and you can just fill in the blank. The world fails to recognize the real issue. Man's greatest issue is not a physical one. It's not a social one or a political one. And not one of man's attempts to try to fix those things will work. Social justice cannot fix spiritually dead people. A vaccine cannot make a person whole. A political figure cannot fix anyone's heart. Man's greatest issue is a heart issue which manifests itself in total disobedience, total rejection of God. Man's greatest issue is that he is a sinner. Completely dead, unwilling and unable to obey the gospel unless he is made willing and able to believe And obey by the gracious will of God. The church. However. In relation to the world is set apart. Yes. We are set apart from the world. We're not to live. And look like the rest of the world. As the church. As followers. Of Jesus Christ. We submit and we obey to him. We obey him. Only true followers of Christ love obedience and obey his word. Unfortunately, we are now even seeing disobedience in the church. It's nothing new. It's becoming more public. We see it everywhere. The church, which should be filled with the most obedient people, are filled with many people who hate obedience It shows, yes, it shows in their conduct, their teaching, their programs, the way they carry themselves shows in their leadership. And even the churches, because of their disobedience, start to look like the world, bickering, infighting, hostility and anger, towards one another false teachers imposters spewing heresy all of this culminates spreads from church to church and they just become breeding grounds for more and more disobedience and because of this churches inevitably end up propagating the same filth that the world does and becomes accepting of the world we see it. Churches becoming more and more accepting of the social gospel, critical race theory, transgenderism, homosexuality. Pastor in Florida, you may have seen it on the news, that has homosexuals on their staff. Again, we shouldn't be surprised that this happens. Paul tells us in Second Timothy 3.13 that evil men, apostates, phonies, will grow Worse, will proceed from bad to worse and that they will run rampant deceiving others while they're deceiving their self. These churches become accepting of everyone and everything, every sin. Again, you can tell not just by their conduct how they act, but their speech. You'll hear things like come as you are. Or they'll tell people that are in blatant, unrepentant sin that God loves them. Or they'll say this like, I know, I know you live this way, but all you got to do is believe. All you got to do is believe. You don't have to do anything else as a Christian. All you got to do is believe. As long as you believe in Jesus and you say you love him, you're fine. There's no teaching on repentance, obedience to scripture, obedience to Christ's commands. No teaching on submission to Christ. They end up just leaving people the same, the way they came in. Their church slogan should be, come as you are, leave as you were. Right? Because there's no change. And this idea in the church called easy believism That all you have to do is believe but not obey the gospel is a lie. And it's contradictory to what scripture teaches and it robs people of the true gospel. And the truth is about these people who do not want to obey and live however they want but say that they love Jesus. The truth is is that they do not truly love God. They hate God. They don't love the Jesus, the God that is revealed in Holy Scripture. They just love the God of their own making, one that fits their own lusts, desires, and passions. And Jude speaks of these people in Jude chapter 1, the only chapter, verse 10, and speaking about these people who claim to know and love Christ, but yet preach and live something entirely differently. He speaks of them in verse 10, excuse me, in verse 10 saying, But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. They revile what they do not understand. What do they not understand? The gospel. They revile it. Revile comes from the Greek word blasphemeo. It's where we get our English word to blaspheme. They blaspheme. God they blaspheme scripture they hate God they hate scripture they revile it and so therefore they don't live in obedience to what it says obedience is under attack today instead of letting scripture speak for itself instead of letting the clarity of scripture shine on the darkness the church, largely as a whole, has taken the gospel, which demands obedience. And they twist it, and they make it obscure. So obscure that nothing is ever really clear. But the Bible is just one big, ambiguous message. That again, all you got to do is believe. Everything else is, you know, not really clear. But all you have to do is believe. And you're fine. No life change No repentance, no obedience. They claim that Scripture is unclear. And again, I tell you that the issue is not with God's Word. But the issue is with wicked men twisting and distorting the truth. They replace the truth that we must be obedient to Christ with easy believism. That all you have to do is believe. That you don't have to do anything as a believer. That the gospel doesn't require obedience and some, if not many, go even so far to say that it doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want, do whatever you want, and get away with it as long as you believe. It's called antinomianism. That I got my fire insurance. I, you know, I, I believe so I can do whatever I want. Again, that is heresy. That is not the true biblical gospel. And it spiritually robs people. And sends them to hell. Obedience is under attack. But as we'll see today, belief in Christ and obedience are inseparable. They are two different things, but yet they are one in the same. Where you find true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find obedience to his word, to the commands of of Scripture, and the Philippian church was a church, a true church, because they believed and obeyed. Look with me at Philippians two twelve. Paul says, "So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, the Philippian church were obedient. They obeyed when Paul was with them." And when he wasn't, it is not because of Paul's presence that made them obey. Oh, goodness, Paul's here. You know, we better straighten up, right? I mean, they might be afraid if they were the Corinthian church. They had a lot of issues, might be a little bit, little bit intimidated, but they weren't intimidated by him. If Paul were to walk in here right now, you know, we all might sit up a little bit more straighter, you know, turn to scripture faster. In fact, I'd probably just leave the pulpit and let him take it and preach, right? But we wouldn't be afraid. Why? Because we've been obedient. As a church, Colonial Bible Church has been obedient to the true gospel. It's the same thing with them they weren't scared, they weren't intimidated by his presence. They were obedient because they were a true church. Because they obeyed the true gospel. And what is the true gospel? Before we can look at what obedience demands, we need to look at what the true gospel is. The Philippian church was obedient to it, as I've said probably a million times now. And Paul confirms that in chapter 1-5. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, they've been consistent. Whether Paul has been there, whether he's not been there, they've been obedient to the true gospel. So what is the gospel? Before we can make, show what scripture makes clear about its demands, we must have a true biblical gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that God created man, yes, Adam, and that God has a righteous standard. The law and commanded Adam not to eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that Adam and Eve sinned eating that fruit. And so because of that, sin entered the world and spread to all men because of Adam's sin. We find that in Romans five, twelve, eighteen, 18 and 19. And so we are all therefore sinners, haters of God, not wanting him, practicing unrighteousness, And if the story stopped there, we would be doomed, right? But the story continues. But God in His mercy promised He would send one who would redeem us, who would redeem many. That is Jesus, the very Son of God, who is God, who was born of a virgin by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So there is not any way Jesus could have inherited man's sin nature. And so Jesus, 100% God, And 100% man lived perfectly, was tempted in every way we were, yet never sinned, completely fulfilling God's law. And Jesus taught, and he preached, and he healed many, performed many miracles. But that's not where the story ends, right? Because the gospel story goes on. Jesus came to die to save his people from their sins. And since God is a just God and he cannot leave any sin unpunished, he punished his son. And Jesus, being obedient to the Father, went to the cross, taking the physical punishment, excuse me, and the eternal punishment, God's holy and just wrath that we deserved, paying the penalty in full for all who would ever repent and believe by faith in him. He died, was buried, and was rose again. That's the gospel we believe. And that is the gospel we obey. So three points today that I want to look at. Three reasons why we obey. Point number one. We obey the gospel because it is commanded. We obey the gospel because it is commanded. It is just not something that you merely recognize with your intellect. We obey Because we are commanded. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is preaching. And he says, the time is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. That is what obedience looks like. First and foremost, initially, for everyone who comes to Christ, is repentance. A radical turning from sin and turning to God. Again, I'll say it. Faith and obedience are inseparable. We must repent. We must repent of our sin and turn to Christ. It is not that we won't perfectly repent. Because if we perfectly repented, then we would be like Christ, right? But that is not the case. We're still sinners. So it is not that we don't ever sin or that we won't ever sin greatly, or find ourselves in a small season of sin, but sin is not what characterizes our life anymore. When Christ saves someone, saves someone, when the Holy Spirit regenerates someone, they are different. They don't look like what they used to look like. And that manifests itself, true saving faith, and obedience by repenting. Of sin, sin is what no longer characterizes our life. Rather, righteousness, obedience to the word, and repentance is what characterizes our life. True saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is never stagnant. It never just sits there on idle. It does something. Faith is acted upon in obedience, and we see this everywhere. If you want to turn real quick to Exodus. Chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. This is when the people affirm their covenant with God. The Ten Commandments. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 24 of Exodus. says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord You and Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord, and all their ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and the other half of the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it, hearing And read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. What the Lord says, we do. We hear what God says through his word. We believe it and obey it. If you go on further in Leviticus chapter 11, you see consequences of that. Nahab and Abihu aren't obedient. They offer strange fire to the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He strikes them dead. God takes obedience seriously. We must be obedient to His word. But it's not just in the New Test excuse me, the Old Testament we find this, but all over the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles exhort us to be obedient to the Word. Romans six sixteen, he says, "We're no longer slaves to sin." But we are slaves of obedience. Obedience to what? The word of God. 1 Peter 1.14. Peter tells us that we are to be obedient children. Not conformed to sin. But conformed to the word of God. We're supposed to be obedient to the word. Luke chapter 9. You can turn there if you like. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he's up on the mountain with the disciples. This is after Peter confesses Christ as the Son of God. And Jesus speaks of his death in verse 22 and then follows it up in verse 23. And he was saying to them all, if any... Excuse me, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Even Jesus makes it clear. We must be obedient. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. It's not just a one time thing. We follow him daily. We put ourselves to death daily and we obey him. Daily, taking up our cross, putting our desires to death and be obedient to Christ. Now, yes, at the moment of our salvation, when the Spirit regenerates us and we believe and we repent, we are completely justified in that moment. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit and our salvation is secure. There is nothing we can do to lose it, and there's nothing we can do to try to keep it. We are secure in Christ. However, again, that does not mean we are to be idle. We are to we are responsible to pursue obedience. Again, Paul in Romans 6 says since we are not under sin, we are obligated to follow the word. We are obligated to follow Christ. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. So Paul says, Just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul says, listen, whether I'm here or gone, you've always been obedient. You've been obedient when I'm here. You've been obedient when I'm gone. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This verse is not referring to salvation by works. We know that that is not true. We know from Ephesians 2 that it's all by the grace of God and Him calling us. It's not by works so that no man should boast. It is all by Christ. There is nothing we could ever do to save us. It is solely by Christ. But this verse is affirming of our responsibility to pursue obedience. That's the command. He says it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, just keep on being obedient to what you have learned. Keep on being obedient to the gospel with fear and trembling. We pursue our obedience to Christ with a healthy fear of offending God. I don't know about you, but I, I, I do not want to offend Almighty God. Although my salvation is secure and safe in Christ. I still don't want to offend him. I want to obey him. And that should be our heart's desire. Which leads me to my second point. One, we obey because it is commanded. And point number two, we obey because it's our heart's desire. It's our heart's desire. We obey and are obedient to Christ and his commands, not only because of our obligation to, but because of our our adoration for him. We obey because we love God, our love for his word. Turn to Romans 6 really quick. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. He says in verse 17, Paul, but thanks to be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So we don't obey just because we're obligated to as believers, but we obey from the heart. Going back to the beginning of my sermon, the real issue is man's heart. His heart must be changed in true saving faith in Jesus Christ always leads to obedience because it is the heart's desire. We're obedient from the heart. Yes. We're not obedient because we look at Christianity like a like a box of check marks. Okay, I did this, I did this, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, right? No, we do what we do because we love God. Because it is our heart's desire. We obey because we are new creations, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore you are new creations in Christ. What you used to be was gone and now new things have come. We have new heart desires. Our heart has changed. We are obedient to follow Him. Our desire is to follow and to keep God's commandments. Again, this isn't like something just new to the New Testament. It's all over, especially in the Psalms. We were there earlier Psalm 119, so if you will turn there to Psalm 119. The psalmist, all over the Psalms, writes about being obedient to God's word. Terry hit a couple of the verses earlier. We find this all over the place. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. They're being obedient to his testimonies who seek him with all their heart they also do no unrighteousness and they what they walk in his ways verse 4 you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently oh that my ways may be established to what to keep your statutes we find it in verse 8 i shall keep your statutes we find it in verses 30 through 32 I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments. For you will enlarge my heart. Or you could take verses 44 through 45. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty For I seek your precepts, or verse 51, the arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. All over, the Psalms, the New Testament, the heart of one who is truly saved is obedient. The law is everything. God's word is everything to us. And for those people in the churches propagating this easy believism, antinomian filth, saying that scripture is unclear about obedience, has any of this been unclear? About one who is following after Christ, his heart's desires to follow and to keep the word of God? Has any of it been obscure? No. Only those who obey God know and love God. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. John in chapter 14. Jesus speaking. Verse 20, he says, in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. Here it is in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Those who know God and love God keep God's commandments. Jesus affirms that. We must believe. We must obey. The idea that you can say you believe and let, and yet live however you want, do whatever you want, and get away with it because you have fire insurance, is wrong. It is heresy. Even the Apostle John tells us this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. He's speaking of those who claim to know God. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him, And yet does not keep his commandments. He is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word. In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. We are not. Solely supposed to just look back on a time. When we made a profession. Does that make sense? It is not to say that you weren't truly saved at that moment. Maybe when you made a profession. But the true testing of your faith is seen over the, your life. Have you been obedient to God's command? Is it your heart's desire to follow the word of God and to obey it? The one who says, I know and love Christ and doesn't do his word, doesn't follow in repentance, continual repentance, doesn't follow scripture's commands, is a liar. You're lying to yourself. You don't know him. We know him, John says. We know we know him because we do what he says. Cuz it's our heart's desire. Is that not clear? Is that ambiguous? Or 1 John chapter 3:10 By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. How's that for clarity? Is that obscure? If you do not obey Christ, if that is not your heart's desires, if you're not pursuing that, that is a scary place to be. Those who know and love God continually following him, not perfectly, not perfectly, because we still sin. But what generally characterizes our life and the direction of our life is to be obedient to Christ and to become more and more like him. Him. Those who know and love Christ are obedient from the heart. Again, it must be from the heart. It must be a heart change. Simply changing some behaviors or trying to do good or trying to be moral doesn't fix the issue if your heart isn't fixed. Moralism does not save. There are a lot of moral people in hell. Does that make sense? There's a lot of people who do good things. Who are in hell. Behavioral modification means nothing. If your heart is not changed. Your heart must be changed. Just like the Pharisees. Who outwardly looked great. Because they were moral. But inside they were completely dead. They were not obedient from the heart. So we obey because it is commanded. We obey because it's our heart's desire. And point number three, we obey because obedience is the assurance of our salvation. Again, let me make it clear. We are not saved by our obedience, right? Obedience doesn't save us, but true saving faith will manifest itself in obedience, Just simply saying that you believe in Christ, that you believe in his word, but not doing it is what the Bible calls a non-true saving faith. You must do it. It is the assurance of our salvation. So what if you say you believe? Many people say they believe. What is... James say James 1 he says you do well you say that you believe even the demons believe there must be change from the heart in fact turn to James real quick the book of James James chapter 1 We obey because we're commanded. We obey because our heart it's our heart's desire, and we obey because it is the assurance of our salvation. James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. We must be doers of the word. If you hear the word and you do not do it, you are simply deluding yourself. Or, in First John, you could just be deceiving yourself, thinking you're a Christian, thinking you know and love Christ when you don't. If you hear the word and you don't do it, You're just deceiving yourself. If you say you know and love him, love Christ, and yet you show no obedience to his word, no repentance, no adherence to his commands, then you need to do a serious heart evaluation to see if you are truly saved, because indeed you may not be. I don't say that to be harsh. I don't say that to shock you. I say that thinking of people I know and love who need to hear this. True saving faith will always manifest itself in obedience. And we obey because it is the assurance of our salvation. Simply hearing it. The demons know the word. The demons know scripture. We must do it. I remember one time. Uh, my mom used to leave me and my siblings uh, to go to the grocery store. She wouldn't like leave us, but she would leave us to go get groceries at the grocery store. And she would give us a list of commands, right? I'm going to go get some rice. So I need you to leave the chicken out and let it thaw. And I also need you to vacuum. Okay. Those were the commands. Yes. And so she would leave. And I remember one time I, I did everything else, but those things. And, uh, my mom came home, and she was like, K- where, where's, where's the chicken? And I was just kind of like, oh, oh, so, sorry, sorry. And she was like, what? Did, did you even vacuum? Well, well, no. But I remembered. I remembered what you said. I remember saying that, which was so stupid of me. <laughs> I didn't even try to get away with it. I was like, but I, I remembered as if that merited anything. She was like, so what you remembered? You know? I did everything else but obey. And then I got the go to your room and wait till your dad gets home, which was scary because, you know, the wrath was coming. Right? <laughs> Simply hearing and not doing means nothing. Silly illustration. But how much more severe will it be for those who hear the word of God and do not obey it? Those who claim to know and love Christ and yet show no remorse for sin, no repentance, no repentance. No there's there's nothing there's no change there's no directional change to be obedient to Christ. Hmm. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 7 please turn there Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, if you'll look at verse 21 with me, this is Jesus speaking after he's just given the parable of a tree and its fruit, saying that you will know people by their fruits. He says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your your name cast out many demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These aren't those who openly reject God and Christ. These are churchgoers. These are ones who think they know and love Christ. They do everything else. Lord, Lord, I... I remember what you said. I remember. I know I didn't do that, but, but I did these other things. And Jesus will say, you did everything else but obey my word. You who practice lawlessness. You weren't obedient. There was no repentance. We must be obedient to the word because it's the assurance of our salvation. How else are you going to be assured? By what you do? No. No. Just like that silly illustration with what my mom asked to do. So so what? That, that gave me no assurance, right? We must be obedient. That's what our assures our salvation. Continue reading in verse 24 with me. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... Full. Often misunderstood scripture. This is talking about obedience. The rock on which our house is built is obedience. It's what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, who hears the words and are obedient, is the man who built his house on the rock. Because you can never be unsure if you're obedient. If you're obedient, then you're good. If I had just done what my mom asked me, and I'd be good. I wouldn't have been in so much trouble, right? When you're obedient to Christ, you, you, you shouldn't lack assurance. Obedience is the rock. The sand is the, diff, is the disobedience. Excuse me. Whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them is the man who built his house on the sand. Two different men, Two different foundations, but the same house. They had the same materials, used the same kinds of wood and concrete and screws, had the same blueprints. Both of these men went to the same church, heard the same sermons, and then trials come along, temptations come, and the one who built his house on the sand never took God's word seriously, disregarded it, and his house, his life came to a tragic end. But the one who built his house on obedience lived. He heard the word of God and he did it. And when trials and temptations come, he was obedient, doing what God commanded. Not that he was perfect, but that he repented, that he pursued obedience. Right? Two different kinds of people. And we find this even in Scripture. Yes, these two kinds of people. Take Peter and Judas. Peter and Judas lived with Jesus. They reclined at the table with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Both of them saw Jesus preach probably many times. Both of them saw Jesus perform many miracles. Both of them probably had slept next to Jesus. Judas' house was built on the sand. He was disobedient by way of mouth service and outward. You know, he he did some things. He built his house. But ultimately, it wasn't wasn't from the heart. His heart wasn't changed. He was disobedient. Peter, his house was built on the rock. He was obedient. It's not that his life was perfect, yes. He was very imperfect. After professing Christ to be the Son of God, and Jesus says, yes, Peter, right? And commends him. A few verses later, he tries to tell Jesus that he doesn't have to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You yeah? a sharp rebuke after a high commendation. And Peter also betrayed Christ. Yes. He denied him three times. So did Judas. But the difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas, when he saw Christ, ran away, was disobedient and hung himself. But when Peter, when he saw Christ from the boat after he had gone fishing, threw himself into the ocean and ran to Christ and repented. Peter was obedient, repented, and continued in his obedience until he was martyred. Which one are you? Are you the one who is obedient? Do you have assurance Do you obey because it's commanded? Because it's hearts, it's your heart's desire. Look at Philippians four thirteen real quick, then we will finish this up. He says, or excuse me, two thirteen. Philippians two thirteen. Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here we see God's sovereignty in it all. God's sovereignty in obedience. The Lord is sovereign over your will and your work. Paul confirms that in Ephesians 2, saying that he predestined and preordained Good works that we would do that we would walk in them and then you might be asking okay like this whole time you've been preaching on our responsibility and now we're just hit with this verse with god's sovereignty right it may seem may seem paradoxical and in a way you'd be right to say that the command is for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling we're responsible we're obligated yes but then Paul follows it up with God's sovereignty. But, oh, by the way, it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How do you reconcile those two things? I have an answer. And it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I don't know. And, and neither, neither do you. The Bible is full of these sort of paradoxes, yes? What may seem like a paradox to us is worked out in the infinite mind of God. It's not a paradox to him. The Trinity, for example, may seem a little paradoxical. Three completely distinct different persons, but yet they're one and the same. How do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile Christ being 100% God and 100% man? How does that... I, I I don't know. How do you reconcile our responsibility to repent and believe, but yet God has already predetermined who will come to him and still holds every man accountable. How do, you, how do you reconcile that? You can't, right? What are we called to do though? Believe and obey. That's what we do. We believe and obey. I don't know exactly how you reconcile those two things. Charles Spurgeon said it sort of like this. If you've ever seen railroad tracks, or stood on railroad tracks, and you look down the center of the railroad tracks, it seems like those two rails cross at some point, right? And no matter how hard and fast you run toward the end of those railroad tracks, you'll never see them cross. And he's exactly right. On this side of eternity, here in this life, we won't understand perfectly. We won't be able to fully reconcile it. But here's what I do know about my obedience and myself. Is that anytime I sin, anytime I do wrong, it's on me. But anytime I do something truly good, anytime I have the desire to be in God's word, every time I believe, every time I repent, every time I pursue him, it's Christ in me. That could have never come from me. So be encouraged. Anytime you obey his word. Anytime you repent or have the desire to follow him in obedience. God's commands. It is him working in you. Yes. That's what Paul says exactly. In Philippians 1.6. He says for I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you. Will complete it. He will complete our obedience. We obey. Because it's commanded. We obey because it's our heart's desire. And we obey because it's the assurance of our salvation. And although we are responsible. God is sovereign. And we trust that, and we rest in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that scripture is clear, that it's not obscure, that the youngest mind and even the greatest intellect can come to understand your truth, and that is we must repent and believe in your gospel. Lord, although we're responsible, you're also sovereign overall, but that still does not take away our responsibility to pursue you, to be obedient to your word. Father, I pray that we would do that every day with our whole heart, being changed more and more into the image of Christ. All for your glory, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.